Good morning, Woodland Hills. Local congregation, non-local congregation, good to be here uh, sharing this moment with you. I know Shauna we did a great job on, on uh, sharing her excitement about the fall and that great kickoff we're going to have on September 12th. Um, but there is something sad about the last week in August. I mean, there, isn't there, especially here in Minnesota, because we know what's coming. And so it's like, goodbye summer of 22. It's been nice knowing you. But this is it. So here we are. Uh, I, 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 I'm going to tell you that I, I just feel so blessed. Even when I was a kid, I liked to... Um, I like to discover things and then tell people about them. Did you know? You know, I just like to do that. And now I get to do that for a living. Because that's all I really basically do. I, 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 I love to read the Bible, study it, get something in the week. It's like, oh, I get to share this. And uh, man, uh, I get paid for that. It's, 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 it's incredible. They think I, I should be paying you guys to, to do this. This is fun. So anyways, I got something I want to share this morning that I think is this huge. Uh, so, um, by the way, if you're visiting for the first time, my name's Greg, Greg Boyd, and I'm a teaching pastor here. So we're in this kind of mini-series on, on judgment, which is part of a series on, on cross-examination, uh, ultimately based on Matthew 7, verses 1 through 3. Um, and, and, and so far, we, we've seen that if, if we're going to be loving the way God calls us to love, to love unconditionally, uh, 24-7, if we're going to do that, we have to let, set aside all judgment, all negative judgments of others. We have to leave all that to God, which means we have to trust God to be judge. And so that's, the t- that's kind of the, the sub-series that we're in right now, talking about the nature of God's judgment. Can, can we trust that God in the end will balance the moral scales of the universe? Can we trust that injustice will not have the last word? We saw last week that God's judgments are organic in nature. And if you weren't here last week, I really encourage you to, get that, to listen to that message because it's kind of foundational for what's going to be coming here in the, in the weeks to come as is this message here this morning. It's pretty foundational for what will be coming uh, in, in subsequent weeks. Uh, but we saw God's judgment is organic, not, not legal. It's got a legal dimension to it, but the most fundamental thing about it is that it's, it's organic, which means that for God to bring judgment, God doesn't need to impose a sentence or carry out a sentence. To bring a judgment, God simply has to let people go down the course they're going because it's hardwired into the nature of sin that it is inherently self-destructive. It implodes in on itself sooner or later. And so we have this refrain throughout the Bible about how uh, when, when, when God brings judgment, he lets people go, and they, they end up punishing themselves. They end up being punished by their own sin. In fact, that comes out in the passage that launched this whole series, Matthew 7, 1 through 3, where Jesus says, don't judge uh, if you don't want to be judged, then don't judge. Because the judgment you give is the judgment you're going to get. The very same one. And, and the, the, the uh, measure in which you give it is the measure in which you'll get it back. So in judging another, you end up judging yourself. All sin is like that. It, it, it's self-punishment. And God then, with a grieving heart, simply, if his mercy is simply allowing people to become further entrenched in their sin, if God sees he's just enabling people, well, then he's got no choice but to say, I, I got to let you go. Like some of us have had to do with loved ones who are addicted. It's like, I, 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 I got to quit protecting you. Uh, you're going to have to fall on your own. And, and you hope that they'll learn the tough way, but they couldn't learn the easy way, but you got to let them go. That's tough love. So this morning, I want to move it forward a little bit. You know, we have, uh, uh, we always say around here that, that we're called to love in four directions. It comes from Wesley's uh, theology. 
Uh, we're called to love God. We're called to love ourselves. We're called to love our neighbor as, our, our, as ourself. And we're called to love the earth and the animal kingdom. We're called to love God's creation. And I want to talk about that fourth one here, our love uh, for, for God's creation. Um, and I will warn you that you won't know what this has to do with the nature of God's judgment until the very end of this message. So don't waste, you know, precious brain space wondering, gosh, what does that have to do with the nature of, of, of judgment? You won't, you won't see it until the very end. And even then, it's going to be pretty brief. Uh, this message is mainly a foundation for some things that are going to be coming uh, a little bit later on. But I feel it's so important. I, I you know, I, I, I feel a particular gravity to this one. Um, I'll start with sharing it with you one of my very, my most intense pet peeves. Would you like to know one of my most intense pet peeves? If you want to tick me off, just do this to me sometime. I get so, I, I, I have to put on my Christian cap and get my Jesus suit on. And, and, and you know, in, in order to, hey, thank you. In order to handle people when they say things like this. And it happens almost every time I talk about uh, our call to take care of the earth and the animal kingdom. Which I don't do that much, but whenever I do... I will invariably get, not invariably, but most times I'll get some kind of response from somebody along the lines of, man, have you bought into the liberal agenda? <laughs> oh, you've come, you're one of those. Because uh, you know, only liberals talk about caring for the earth and the environment and, and, and make a theology out of that. And I just bristle when I hear that. <laughs> I am not a liberal. I'm a conservative. People keep calling me liberal. Stop it. I, I, I see, I, I really hope that this morning we can see that I, I want to show us that caring for the earth and the animal kingdom should be a really, really high priority for us because it's a really, really high priority for God. And our whole job as followers of Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus, your job is to make God's priorities your priorities. That's our motivation for caring about the earth and the animal kingdom. And it's got nothing to do with politics. Look at I, I, I'm right now talking to kingdom ambassadors. And if you're not a kingdom ambassador, we're really glad that you're here. Praise God. I hope by the end of the service, you're really considering surrendering your life to Jesus and becoming a kingdom ambassador. Because if you believe in Jesus, then you're here to represent a different kingdom, right? And represent a different king, an alternative to all the kingdoms of this world. So we don't gather here together to figure out what our government should do about our problem. We gather here together to say, what should we do about the problem? Amen? And so I don't have any interest in talking politics. So if you're wearing, if you're here and you have a particular political lens that you view things through and hear things through, um, I would like to kindly ask you at this point in the service to turn your cell phones off and to take off those spectacles. If you've got some political spectacles on, we just try to locate them and remove them. Uh, I'll give you a moment. Go ahead and try to find them. Uh, and you may not think that you're even wearing any, but you are. In all likelihood, you are. Um, and, and, and take those off so you can hear this message as, as, as for what it is. Don't, 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 don't try to filter it through some political... If there's any suspicion of, oh, he's, he, he's a liberal because he's talking that, then, then God bless you. God bless you. <laughs> hallelujah, hallelujah. <laughs> I, I, I'll, I'll tell you, I, 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 and I'll just be scratching the surface of this. If, there's a lot of good books out there on this topic, but if you want to go deeper into this, because there's so much I can't even touch on, uh, but um, one book is, is, is The Dominion of Love by Norm Felp, uh, good on capturing uh, our call to love God's creation. Also, uh, uh, Betsy Painter uh, has a book, uh, The Christian's Guide to the Planet Earth. Um, just some resources there. there, there's others out there. 
But I'll just scratch the surface here this morning. And I'm entitling this message, uh, Caretakers of God's Property and God's Pets. Because the way the Bible describes uh, the, the earth is that it's God's property, and he loves it. And, and the animal kingdom is, are God's pets. The Bible portrays it as this over and over and over again. Hundreds of verses could give you on this. And we're the ones who are put in charge of all this. Now, we, we, we see the high priority that, that uh, the creation and that the welfare of the animal kingdom has for God. And we also see how much God entrusts human beings with when we consider the fact that taking care of the earth and the animal kingdom is part of our first mandate. So we read this in Genesis chapter 1. It says, Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. Okay, so this is, our, this is the first directive that God gives us in the Bible. First mandate. Our foundational mission statement. There's other things that we're called to do, and they, they, they get added on later on in, in the progress of Revelation and Scripture. But never is this one revoked. This is always there. And it involves two things. Number one, be fruitful and multiply. If you have kids, pat yourself on the back because you fulfilled that one. Way to go. I, I, I've heard that that is like probably the only command that human beings have actually adequately fulfilled. <laughs> we actually, we can check that one off. <laughs> All the rest of them we still got to do. Be fruitful and multiply. We've always been good at that one. But then he says, subdue and have dominion over the earth. Subdue, it has the, the, the connotation of to subjugate something. And so apparently, even before the fall, because this is given, you know, this is God's ideal for creation, not as prior to the fall or apart from the fall. Uh, but even apart from the fall, uh, apparently there are aspects of creation that are meant for human beings to, to domesticate, to, to rein in. And so that's part of our, our, part of our job. But we're also to have dominion. And dominion simply means to rule. To have dominion means that, that it, it, it means that uh, the earth and the animal kingdom are supposed to be the dome over which human beings reign. And we reign under the authority of God. And our job is to carry out God's will on earth as it is in heaven. What's amazing here, oh, and, and this is why, by the way, we're called, in the, we're said to be in the image of God. Um, in the ancient Near East, which is the cultural context in which the Bible is written, um, the Old Testament anyways, uh, the, this phrase, uh, uh, image of God, it was used of one person, and one person only, and that was the king. And he was said to be in the image of God because he reigns like his God reigns. And the king's job was to carry out the will of that God on the land. So he's in the image of God, in the likeness of God. He does what God does. He rules over others. And what's amazing is that in a context where that, that, that term is only applied to one person, this inspired biblical author, and in a context where women are regarded as property throughout the ancient Near East, not full human beings, but this author it's the divine insight that, no, every human being is made in the image of God. Uh, male and female, they're made in the image of God because we are all intended to, in our own way, rule. But we're not supposed to rule one another. 
In, in, in the book of Genesis, we, we don't, we're not supposed to lord over one another. God alone is our Lord. Our rule is over the earth and the animal kingdom. It's our first mandate. Take care of the earth and the animal kingdom. Now, when we hear this phrase dominion, um, we, we often think dominate. Because in a fallen world, to have dominion often is synonymous with dominating someone. And sadly, this is how this term, it's rada in Hebrew, how it's, it's often been interpreted. To have dominion means to dominate, especially over the last 200 years since the Industrial Revolution. You find that theologians sometimes have said that this means to dominate uh, because uh, that's pretty convenient when you're in the middle of this industrial revolution, and you want to use the earth resources, but without needing to give anything back. So this passage has been used to justify human beings exploiting the earth, using the earth and using the animal kingdom without any regard for the, uh, the well-being of the earth and the animal kingdom. This is, we just dominate them as though they exist to serve us, as though their only value is the value that human beings give them, as though their only value is how they can benefit us, as though we were the supreme value givers. As if, as if everything other than us existed for us. Think about that. It's an incredibly arrogant, self-centered, anthropocentric perspective, but it's very, very common. It has been for the last 200 years. So it means to dominate. We get that. All oh, this is just here for us. Yay! <laughs> this is use it and use it and use it and toss it away. It's just here there to serve us. I think this is, though most people wouldn't say this explicitly, they wouldn't say, oh, I think everything exists for me. But let's get honest with ourselves. Isn't that kind of how we view the world? It's all there for us. See, a part, a part of what it means to rule is that it, it is, that for, to a certain degree, there for us. We get to enjoy it, and in appropriate ways, we get to use it to our own benefit. Uh, that's, that, that's fine. That's part of what rule is. But if we're taking Genesis seriously, if we're taking the whole biblical narrative seriously, we have to understand that the earth isn't just here to serve us. In fact, more fundamentally, we are here to serve it. We are here to serve the earth and to serve the animal kingdom. And that's built into this nature, this, this command to have dominion. Your job here is to serve them by ruling them. It doesn't mean to dominate. It just means to rule. But if you want to see how it can't mean to dominate. From a biblical perspective, we, I could give you a lot of verses here, but we don't have time, so I'll just give you the cross. You don't have to look any further than the cross. What does godly dominion look like? What does godly dominion look like? Well, it looks like Jesus Christ being crucified. Listen to what Paul says about the cross. One of the most fantastic, mind-blowing, crazy, beautiful verses in the whole Bible. Because Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, for the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. It just doesn't make sense. They don't get it. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And two verses later, he goes, to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, he's still talking about the crucified Christ, the crucified Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. From the world's perspective, nothing could look dumber than God, the omnipotent God, becoming a human being and giving his life for others. But Paul sees this as the expression of the power and the wisdom of God. The power and wisdom by which God rules the universe is revealed on the cross. The cross is a perfect definitive revelation of who God is, and the cross is a perfect revelation of the kind of love and the kind of power and the kind of wisdom that God relies on. And what we see here, what Paul is saying, is that God's power and God's wisdom are identical to his self-sacrificial love. Because the cross is the power of God. The cross is the wisdom of God. 
So when God establishes his kingdom, he doesn't do it through force and through coercion and through cajoling and through threats and destroying people or whatever. That's how the kingdoms of the world establish themselves. But when God establishes his kingdom, he does it by giving himself away, by sacrificing himself for others, by laying down his life for others, by manifesting the, 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 the love of God. I think most people, when they think about power, the kind of power that, that the God would have, they think about Marvel superheroes. Uh, you know, that's the kind of power we all want, right? The power to come down and kick the enemy's butt and get our way and, and impress people. And, and it's the same kind of power the ancient Greeks worshipped when they worshipped their gods. In fact, the Marvel superheroes actually is just a technological version of, of ancient mythology. It's just amazing. Uh, we have the same gods. It's just that we, you know, their power is in their, their, their technology and, and stuff. But it's the same kind of power. It's the power to beat up people. It's the power to destroy enemies. It's the power to get your way. It's the power to rule. When God shows up and displays the kind of power he relies on, the kind of wisdom he, look, he relies on, it looks like the opposite of that. It's not about dominating others. It's about serving others. It's about loving others. It's about caring about the flourishing of others and sacrificing to, to be willing to do it. See, and if you have this idea that, 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 that God's power is like the Marvel you know, heroes, like Thor or Hulk, if that's, that, if, if that's what you think God is like, well, then how are you going to live? The answer is, you're going to live like a little Thor or a little Hulk. If, if, if the God you worship is, is, engages in violence, well, then you'll find yourself engaging in violence. If, if God solves problems by smashing heads and, and, and doing people in, well, then if it's good enough for God, it's good enough for us. We always take on the image of God that we worship. And so if you're looking for an explanation for how it is that Christians throughout history who, who call Jesus Christ Lord... Even though Jesus says, love your enemies and turn the other cheek and never retaliate, why is it that throughout history we find Christians engaging in violence? And the answer is this, that you can, you can believe Jesus is Lord, but if your picture of God is Hulk, you're going to act like Hulk, not Jesus. <laughs> so crucial that we lock in what God really is like, what God's nature really is like, what God's wisdom is really like, what God's power is really like. So here God says, here's my beloved, here's my beloved land, and here's my beloved pets. And I'm putting you in charge, human beings. I'm putting you in charge. I want you to have dominion, but I want you to rule them the way I rule you. When God rules us, he doesn't exploit us. He doesn't just use us without any regard for our well-being. No, when God rules us, he does it out of self-sacrificial love, other-oriented love. And God says, rule them, the earth and the animal kingdom, the way I rule you. And by our ruling the earth and the animal kingdom in a way that reflects the self-sacrificial character of Abba Father, that's how God's will gets done on earth as it is in heaven. So our most fundamental job, our, our first assignment, is to love the earth and the animal kingdom the way God loves the earth and the animal kingdom. And that is how we bring about God's will on earth as it is in heaven, as it applies to the earth and the animal kingdom. So God wants to be Lord of the whole earth and over the animal kingdom, but he wants to do it through us. We're his viceroys, if you will. As landlords, we're caretakers of God's property and caretakers of God's pet. So we are to express this dominion by how we love and care for the earth and the animal kingdom. And that includes how we're willing to sacrifice for the earth and the animal kingdom. Um, here's the thing. This is kind of a new concept. I, I, it's one of these kind of concepts where I've known this before, but I haven't felt it like I feel it now. And, and it's one of those things where once you see it with a kind of clarity that you haven't had before, you're wondering, how could I not see this before? I, I don't think I've ever preached on this. 
But we have these four loves, right? We're supposed to love God, love ourselves, love our neighbor as ourselves, and love the earth and the animal kingdom. And we've always said that love is about ascribing worth to another at cost to ourselves, right? So we talk about how our job, walking around day after day, I hope you've been, hope you've been doing it. Uh, it. It's the A of gaps. I, I agree with God about every person that you see that they've got unsurpassable worth. You agree with God about that. What we want, God's way of seeing the world to be our way of seeing it with the world, and God's values are values. But what we have to see right now is that this also applies to the earth and the animal kingdom. To love another is to care about the flourishing of another, and you show the worth of another by what you're willing to sacrifice for it. Sacrificing for the well-being of the earth and the animal kingdom. At the very least, this means, I believe, folks, and hear this. Holy Spirit, open up our hearts and help us to be honest with ourselves. At the very least, it means being willing to be inconvenienced if it's going to benefit the earth and the animal kingdom. See, I, I, this, is, this is huge, you guys. Because we're used to it, so we don't notice it. We don't notice it any longer, but we are addicted to convenience. Somebody say amen. We're addicted to convenience. And this actually is what's got us into this trouble that we're in right now. Um, for the last 200 years, I mean, we've discovered fossil fuels, and that gave us all this energy that we can now be, develop technology with, and all these breakthroughs and all this wonderful stuff, and life gets more and more convenient, and it gets all, more and more immediate, and technology is wonderful, and it's accomplished a whole lot of good, and done a lot of wonderful things, and all that. But all the while, we've been thinking at what, what will make our lives a little easier. But we haven't been asking the question, what is this costing the earth, and what might this be costing the animal kingdom as we're doing this? We haven't had any kind of regard for the, the welfare of the earth and, and, and the animal kingdom. We know this is a finite resource, but we keep on tapping into it like it was an infinite resource. In fact, we have a whole economy that's based on it being an infinite resource. It's called a perpetual growth economy. We've got to keep on growing just to keep this thing moving, but we're dealing with a finite resource that we know is going to run out. And we're a long way down the road to start thinking about, gee, what are we going to do now, you know? Uh, and, and it's... It, it's the mess that we have going on right now, climate-wise and social-wise and whatever, a lot of it is because we've always put convenience before everything else. But among God's people, it cannot be like this. It's like, folks, here's an example. And I'm not trying to pick on bottled water. It just makes a good illustration. This is really convenient. This is, this is convenient. You know, you just drink it and throw it away. Piece of cake. It's nice, right? Um, but here's the thing. This is made out of plastic. Plastic has to come out of fossil fuels. It's petroleum. You know what? Uh, so it takes petroleum to do this, and so you had to pump a little CO2 in the atmosphere to get this here, and then you had to pump some more CO2 in the atmosphere to get it to wherever it was that you bought it, and you got to pump some CO2 in the atmosphere to go buy the thing. So you got a lot of, it's even a carbon imprint here just to get it in your hands. And then you to drink a swig and throw it away. Um, in fact, there's been actually studies done on this where they, they, they estimate that, that the average bottle of water, uh, about a third of it, on average, it gets left in the bottle. So we don't usually drink the whole thing. So it's not only wasting you know, pl plastic and filling up landfills and whatever, it's, it, it's wasting water. But the wonderful thing about these things is that they don't disappear for 10,000 years. They, they, they're, they're sturdy. They don't, they, don't de they don't biodegrade. They don't decompose. So where do they go? Well, they go everywhere. And that's what we're seeing now. This planet that we live on is being filled with plastic everywhere. There's a documentary out there called the story of plastic. It's a good place to start on educating yourself about just how damaging th this thing is here. Um, because it gets into animals, animals it gets into their, their system, and you got turtles that can no longer dive down to get food uh, underwater because they they're too buoyant, because they have too much plastic in them. 
They, they ingest it as they're eating, eating other things. We've got islands of plastic out in the ocean that are the size of Rhode Island. It's, it's just crazy. But it is convenient. Yes, it's convenient, but is it good for the earth? And as kingdom people, we've got to be asking that question. It could be the case that God would call us to say, yes, it's convenient, but I want you to sacrifice that for the good of the earth. Now, here's one thing we're not going to do at Willow Hills Church, and that is to have a rule about this. All right? I've, I've, I'm sure maybe some of you have met some rather unpleasant ecological activists and animal activists, and I love their heart, I love their passion, and, and many of them are just wonderful people, but some of them turn into eco-Nazis. I mean, oh my gosh, they got a list of rules here. If you don't abide by that, well, you're a backslider, you're a traitor, and it's that whole weird stuff that's going on now where you become your own little self-righteous club, and most human groups do that. If, if you're standing for a cause, there's almost always going to be some self-righteousness going on in that. But it, that's not what we're going to be doing here. We're not going to have a bunch of list of rules and, and, and who's the true Christian, who's not the true Christian based on whether or not they drink water or not. We're all in process on this. Well, we all have to drink water, but I mean out of plastic. Um, we're all in process, all right? And so we all need to give each other some grace. But my passion here is to make sure that we're on in, in the process, in the process of asking this question. Uh, here's the honest truth. I, I found this uh, in the bathroom last night over there. Um, in fact, there's two bottles, both of them half full, which kind of proves the point about how little of this we drink. But the other week, I actually bought a bottle of, of, of plastic water, uh, plastic water, water, water in a plastic w- bottle. I actually did, and I bought it here at Woodland Hills Church. So guess what? Woodland Hills Church is still in process on this. You know, and you just can't, like, wave a magic wand, and all of a sudden your life's all, all together different. We're in process on this. We're talking about it. So look at be in process on that. I want to ask us to be asking the question, how might God be calling us to be willing to inconvenience ourselves a little bit and if it's going to benefit the earth and benefit the animal kingdom? Um, and I don't want any of us looking at each other and, and, and judging one another based on what people do or, or don't do. We're all in, in process on this. But I would encourage you to be exploring that, living that question. Now I want to share with you Something that I feel like God really gave me this week that helped me get on the inside of God's love for his earth and the animal kingdom. And it's a really important point because, see, God doesn't want us just to be a bunch of rural people. Oh, you know, the Bible says we're supposed to take care of the earth, so I guess we've got to take care of the earth. Yeah, that's great if you're doing it on the basis of a rule, but, but it's much better if you're doing it on the basis of love. Uh, it, God wants us to share in, in, in his love for, for, for creation. So, so here's, here's what happened to me this week. Um, I love my dog, Gracie. Oh, I love my dog, Gracie, so much. I'm sure I love my dog, Gracie, too much. Uh, show a picture of Gracie. Yeah, but she, she's so cute. I, man, she's just the most adorable creature on the planet. Uh, I, I, I tell my wife, you know, I, I, I can't, I'm always surprised at myself how much I love this dog. I never thought I'd love a dog this much. But Gracie isn't just a dog. She's Gracie. She's the cutest, cutest dog in the world. Yes, she is. Uh, <laughs> she's such a cutest dog. I just love that little dog. And, and, and we, we, we have so much fun together. We're, we're buddies. Um, I maul her every morning. I just give her that nice back rub and belly rub. And, and then we go for long hikes. Uh, I've told you about these, these adventures that we go on. Um, two or three times a week out in the woods. All the times it's just around the, the city. But uh, we go on these adventures. Once in a while I will let her, um, uh, if it's early in the morning, no one's around, and we're out in a private place, or out in a, in a place where I can do this, I'll let her f- go free. And she sniffs out bunnies. She likes to sniff out little bunnies. 
Uh, it's her favorite thing in the world. Man, her tail just goes like this. This is a million miles a second. And, 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 and once in a while, she'll sniff out one, and then she chases it. And her face just lights up. I mean, she, she prances when she catches one. You know, she just leaps. It's like she's so full of joy. Of course, the bunny's terrified, but, you know, uh, it's, uh, I love Gracie, not the bunny. So Gracie wins. And here's the thing that, that, that you might be wondering, like, well, what if Gracie has to caught one of those things? Well, she has. And she rips it apart. It's just really gross. No, I'm kidding. Uh, a few times she's come upon bunnies that are too small to outrun her. And, and you know what she does? She'll, she'll go up to them and she, she'll like just poke them with her nose. Like, like, come on, let's play. Let's play. It's so cute. Let's play. And then she'll let the little bunnies run away and hide before she goes after them again. <clears throat> so you guys, on top of being the cutest dog in the world, yes, she is, I raised a pacifist dog. Oh, that's right. <laughs> She's like, don't drink that! It could have been sitting out there for two weeks for all I know. Ah, So I raised a pacifist dog. I love it. So because I love Gracie so much, see, and, and Shelly and I both, we just adore this dog. So if we got to go someplace that we can't take Gracie with us, we're very careful about who we choose to take care of our dog. We don't want just somebody who's going to babysit or dog shit, um, do the minimal. No, we, we really want somebody who uh, sees that Gracie is the cutest dog in the world. Yes, she is. And, 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 and somebody who, 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 you know, just will love her the kind of, kind of way we do and, and that enjoys taking her off for walks, not just does it as kind of a duty, and, and so that she can live as normal a life as possible while we're away. And so we're very careful about this. And we happen to have a really good family that does this, uh, Paul and Kelly Eddy. Always watch our little Gracie whenever we're gone, and they take great care of her, and we just love that. Although there's times where if they're not available, we don't know what to do. So if you love dogs and you love Gracie, you think she's really good, and you're willing to, you know, let us do a whole bunch of background checks on you, uh, well, you, 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 you feel free to volunteer. We might let you house sit our, 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 our dog here. So this week I was thinking about this on Wednesday. Um, what would happen if I trusted Gracie to somebody that I thought I could trust. And um, I had to go away. And when I come back, I, what if I were to learn that they didn't take good care of Gracie at all? Uh, I, what if I were to learn that, that you know, she's so needy, she's, so, she's used to having so much attention, but what if they just neglected her the whole time? Uh, she gets so lonely and depressed if, if, if she goes a long time without attention. And what if they never took her off for a walk? If she doesn't get her walks and she's got all this energy, she just gets pent up. She gets like frustrated and, 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 and miserable. What if they never played with her? What if they locked her in a room and just left her there? What if they put tape on her mouth because she was crying and, and, and this was their way of shutting her up? What if they actually killed her, come back and, and she was dead? And as I thought about that, what, what, what really would that feel like if, if that were to happen? And it broke my heart. It's, I almost start crying as I'm telling you up here. I feel stupid. But talking about what things, bad things happen to my dog, it breaks my heart. And I would get very, very angry after that. I'd get angry. Whoever did this, I'd be super angry. Um, and then I felt on Wednesday morning that the Lord just said to me, that's a little slice. Your, your love for Gracie is a little reflection of my love for my pets, for all the animals. And for the earth. And um, the pain that you feel when 
Trust has been betrayed, and that which you value and what you love so dearly has been abused. That pain that you feel is, is, is a little reflection of the pain that I feel. And the anger that you feel when someone you've entrusted to take care of your beloved pet violates that trust, well, that's a little reflection of the anger that I feel. And that's how I got on in the inside of God's sense of how deeply he loves his creation, how much he cares for it, how his heart breaks when we, when we put convenience, our own convenience, over the welfare of the earth and the animal kingdom, how it breaks God's heart, how it angers him. And because it's against God's will, this is not doing God's will on earth as it is in heaven. And whenever we go against God's will, we're going against reality, and reality always comes back to bite us. That's that self-punishing nature of sin. And what we're going to see in the weeks to come is that this is why the earth and human beings are wrapped up together when it comes to talking about the judgment of God. The earth has very much to do with this. It says this in Revelation eleven eighteen, 18, a passage that I've been, it's kind of been haunting to me the last, the last several weeks. The nations raged, it says, but your wrath has come. And your wrath, we saw last week, is just God letting people go. The nations are raging because God's letting them rage, and that is the judgment of God. And then he says, And the time for judging the dead, for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and the saints, and all who fear your name, both great and small, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. The time has come. Talking about this end of the world as you know it, final judgment. The time has come for destroying those who destroy the earth. Apparently God really cares about who destroys the earth. But the connotation of the passage is that those who destroy the earth will be destroyed by their own destroying. It's that ricochet, boomerang effect of sin. In destroying the earth, we are destroying ourselves, and that is the judgment of God. And in Habakkuk, it says, it says this. It says to the king of Babylon, the violence that you've done to Lebanon will overwhelm you. Your own violence... You're going to now see it, and it's going to overwhelm you. It boomerangs back on you. And your destruction of animals will terrify you. Now, it's just amazing that in, in, in a culture, ancient Eastern culture, where animals had no kind of value other than their service to us, this author gets the, the insight that God cares deeply about his animals and cares deeply about the violence that's done to them. And it's hardwired into the nature of things that our neglect, our apathy, our treatment of animals and our, our apathy and mistreatment of the earth will come back to bite us. It boomerangs back on us. It will overwhelm us and terrify us. This is our first mandate. From a biblical perspective, this is why we exist. Now, we exist for all four loves, right? Love God, love ourselves, love our neighbors, ourselves, and love the earth and the animal kingdom. But the foundation of it, the first one given to us, was about the, the, the earth and the animal kingdom. And so far from thinking this is some kind of a minimal thing, a little thing, a, 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 kind of a trivial thing, or far from thinking it's some kind of liberal hobby horse, this is the bedrock bottom of what it means to be a human being. We're in the image of God. Why? Because we're supposed to rule. How? The way God rules us. And that always looks like Calvary. It looks like self-sacrificial love. It looks like everything other than exploiting something else for your own convenience. When you look at the world as it is right now, you know, the, the craziness that's going on, you got to wonder, is, are, are we beginning to see this? This, this, the effect of the natural consequence of of these centuries of neglecting the earth and the animal kingdom, 
is this starting to come back to bite us? I'm not saying that's the final judgment, but, but, but it's, it, it qualifies as a judgment because in a way we're suffering the natural consequences of, of what human beings have been doing for the last 200 years. I'm going to end with this. I've got eight minutes. I can do this. Um, you know, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, we don't have to turn there, but 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says that we are going to judge the angels. We're going to judge the angels. And, and, and it's theologians, Bible exegetes debate, what does that mean? What's all involved in that? But the one that seems most plausible to me, the explanation is, is, is this. There was others at the time of Paul's writing this who also spoke about human beings judging angels. You find this in the Talmud, in rabbinic tradition. And the rationale was that we will judge the angels because the angels were put in charge of us. Yahweh put them in charge of us to care for us. And so on the judgment, uh, it will be all about how well did they do caring for us. And so in that sense, we'll be judging the angels because we're the criteria by which they'll be judged. Now, if that, if that logic is valid, and given the other-oriented nature of God, that strikes me as a, as a real wise insight. We're always supposed to be serving. Whatever we have rule over, we're responsible for, and we're supposed to be serving. So the question would be, how well did we do that? How godly did we do that? And, and, and so the same logic that would lead us to think that humans will judge the angels should lead us to conclude that the animals will judge us. I just think about this. Here's, here's, a, here's a cartoon that, that a, a dear friend of mine sent, sent me. Uh, says this, hey, Joe, it's, it's, it's your time. This is the angel of death showing up. Um, I, I, was, I never pictured the angel of death as a blonde, but, but I guess we'll go with that. I say, you can't tell it's blonde from where you're at. Then it says, on your way home, you'll need to make peace with those whose lives you've taken. All right? And so then we see him, he's making peace with this person that he apparently killed somewhere along the line or abused or mistreated. He has to make peace before he can go into heaven. And then the last scene, now he has to make peace with the animal kingdom. And there he is. <laughs> can you see all that? the animals rushing towards them? I think there's an element of truth in this. And I'm not making a doctrine out of this or, or whatever, but I do know this. Given that this is our first mandate, our foundational instruction, how could it not be a fundamental part of, of the final judgment? Um, how have we done in, 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 in dealing with the earth and the, and the animal kingdom? So, folks, here, here's the thing. God's calling us to share his love for the earth and the animal kingdom, and love always is about ascribing worth to another at cost to yourself. So the question I want us to be asking here is, is, is how might God be calling you to be willing to be inconvenienced for the sake of the earth and the animal kingdom? Uh, and, 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 and consider this the beginning of an exploration process. Um, as you wake up to the ways in which convenience has, it's been convenient, but you've actually been harming the earth and the animal kingdom by, by capitalizing on this, this sort of convenience. One thing I encourage all of us to do is to educate yourself. If you've not read up on, on uh, the impact of human behavior on, on the planet and on pollution and all the rest, I encourage you to, to, to read about that. Uh, you might start with the, that video, the story of, uh, of, of plastics. Um, educate yourself about how... A, the treatment of animals on, on, on some industrial farms, and, and, and you want to make sure as a kingdom person that, that you're not contributing to the destruction of the earth and the misery of animals uh, by your food choices. And so find out where do you buy your food. If you eat meat, where, where's it grown? How humane are the animals treated there? Those are important things to God. I hope I can show you. We're so used to just seeing them as just kind of this 
furniture in our little room, you know, not having any kind of value. We're so used to just dismissing them as not that important, but it's extremely important. For those of you who have pets and love your pets, you can get inside the God's heart on this one, I think. It's, this is so important to God. Educate yourself on, on these things. Uh, you might want to, there's a, uh, for us, Shelly and I have been on this journey for about three or four months where we're just trying to lower our, 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 our imprint, our carbon imprint. Our, our, and and um, that's just how, how, how much pollution does your food choices cause you. Uh, there's a store in Minneapolis called Tear, T-A-R-E, the Tear store. Um, and um, uh, it, it offers all these alternatives to uh, our single-use plastics, among other things. Single-use plastics, like the bottle. You use it once and toss it. And it's just, it, it's, do you know, I, didn't, I forgot to mention this, that we, over a million bottles of water get drank, drank every minute. Over the, over the course of a year, this is 2020, humans drank 486.1 billion bottles of water. And where does it go? Everywhere. We don't want to be contributing to that. And so here's the thing. We're all in process, and everyone's got to start at their own, where, where you're at. One of the factors is this. Uh, if you go to the Terra store, or there's another one called Zero-ish in Minneapolis. It's just low, low, uh, uh, low waste stores. And you can just Google, how do I go zero waste or how do I go low waste to find out where all the waste goes. Consider composting. That's a huge thing if you can uh, use compost. And yeah, it's inconvenient. You've got you to bring your stuff down to the, the special dump once a week or whatever. There's a lot of inconvenience here, but maybe it's an inconvenience that God is calling you to. One of the factors is that it takes, it's a little more expensive. To One of the reasons we do all the plastic is because it's cheap. And so one inconvenience is that it might be uh, more expensive, especially up front. And maybe be too costly for you. You can't afford it at this point in your life. And we're going to give you grace about that. My concern is not where, we are, where we're at in the process. Because we're all at different places. My passion is for us all to be in process. So I'll end with this. Can, will we all together commit to taking this journey together? And, and, and that journey is just about asking, living in this question. How can I show the value that the earth and the animal kingdom has to me, to my family, and my community, by what we're willing to sacrifice for, how we're willing to be inconvenienced. And start exploring that. Just start living in that question. Start, break, start weaning yourself off the addiction to convenience. Uh, and you know what? I'll tell you this. That, yeah, it's a hassle, especially for Shelly. She's all running around getting all these things. It's, it's just, but it's also fun. It's interesting. You're learning stuff, but it also feels good. It feels good. I, you know, I, I, I have a wooden toothbrush now. I don't go through a plastic toothbrush every couple of months. I, I, I have a wooden toothbrush. Uh, I, I, I have deodorant that, that, that you don't have to use the plastic anymore. It, it's, it's a refillable thing. There's so many things that are refillable. Um, toothpaste, they use these little pills. You just pop in your mouth and they turn into toothpaste. Right? So you don't have to keep on buying the plastic. There are all sorts of ideas. Go to the terror store and you'll, you'll, you'll see what I'm talking about. But can we be on this journey together? And, and I'll end with this. Realize that, and we'll say... We'll, Pick this up next week. That, well, there's four directions of our love, but it's all one love. We're to love God, love ourselves, love our neighbor as ourselves, and love the earth, the animal kingdom. And how we love ourselves and our neighbor is part of our loving God, but also how we love the earth and the animal kingdom is part of our loving God. Um, and, and, and so this makes this top priority. Live in that fourth question, that, that fourth love. How can I love the earth, the animal kingdom, 
Um, okay, uh, it, it, we have uh, prayer after the service here. And, and so if you're online, we have prayer online. If you're here in the auditorium, we'll have a prayer people up front, prayer ministers up front. Uh, don't forget, we have Tuesdays, uh, the MuseCast at 4 o'clock. And uh, they go deeper with the message. And we have gathering groups that are wonderful. And we encourage everyone to get on there and get connected and get to meet some people and whatever. And if you're going to be here next week and you have kiddos, let us know ahead of time so we have enough workers to take care of our kids. And we're still, as always, looking for children's volunteers. And so if you're willing to do that, please let us know. Who do they talk to, Mary? You can talk, you can talk to Mary. If you have any questions about anything to deal with the universe, ask Mary. <laughs> She's, she's, she's Miss Omniscient. She, she knows this stuff. Abba, Father, we thank you that you've given us this earth to enjoy. You've given us the animal kingdom to enjoy and, and to appreciate. But you've also called us to serve. And we confess that we've often been negligent on this, had not made this a high enough priority. But we repent of that attitude, God. And we as a people, collectively and individually, uh, commit to now beginning to live in this new question. Uh, how, would, how, how should we, how would you lead us to be inconvenienced to sacrifice for the well-being of your property and your pets because we are your commissioned caretakers. Empower us to do this job well as we leave this place in Jesus' name. And all of God's kingdom people said, Amen. go out and love on the earth and the animal kingdom as well as on people. All right.